the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. Those who say that we're in a time when there are no heroes, they just don't know where to look. The sloping hills of Arlington National Cemetery, with its row upon row of simple white markers, bearing crosses or stars of David, they add up to only a tiny fraction of the price that has been paid for our freedom. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. Welcome to Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. Welcome, indeed. Good morning to you. It is seven minutes after the hour of nine o'clock, and we are underway. This is the second morning of the month of division in the year of our Lord, 2024. And we've got a nice show lined up for you today. And by nice, I mean an important one with a lot of important information to share with you. We've got some great guests coming our way, and we should, of course, recognize that we like to invite you to call, especially on this day, because this is a day we like to call Free For All Friday! And we are ready for you. Thank you so much for being with us. Coming up in a half an hour, we've got Jim Jordan coming our way. Or Jim Jordan. Beg your pardon. I don't know. I, I have a Jim Jordan story here in front of me, and I just combined him with Jack Windsor for some reason. Jack Windsor is going to be coming up at 935 this morning. At 1010, we're going to talk with Ken Cuccinelli. Uh, and then at uh, 1035, Reggie Stoltzfus, Stoltzfus is going to be here. He's a congressional candidate that is... Uh, generating a ton of support in the conservative communities of Northeast and uh, North Central Ohio. Um, huge, huge favorite of a lot of people, myself included. And we're going to introduce him to you so that you can uh, obviously support, consider supporting him and his campaign, uh, because we need it. We need more and more good, strong, rock-solid conservatives and far fewer Republican rhinos uh, serving us. So we've got uh, Jack Windsor, Ken Cuccinelli, and Reggie Stoltzfus, Stoltzfus who's gonna be, who are going to be part of the program today. And again, as noted, we welcome you at 216-901-0945 or 888-281-1110. Either, either one of those numbers gets you here. Now, before we start with the news of the day, and a lot of it is bad, uh, but that's what we're here for, to tell you the truth about what's going on and then maybe strategize just a little bit about what we can do about it. Let's go ahead and pledge allegiance. Let's do something positive to start this morning and stand and face the flag. By the way, I want to say thanks to 
Where is she? Let me pull her name up here because I always like to um, uh, give credit where it's due when people follow through on these things. And I'm going to do this every day. I'm going to announce the people who send me their uh, their flags. And I apologize. I've got to hunt this down because I think it was a Facebook message. I just saw it this morning. I think it was a Facebook message. Let's double check here. Um, where are you? Where is your name? Uh, I'm, I'll find it. I can't find it at the moment, but I'm going to make it my mission to find it. But somebody sent me a Facebook uh, 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 private message, I believe it was, today with a picture of her flag. And, oh, here it is. I found it. Kathy Gilmore, thank you. Kathy sent me a picture of the flag that she pledges allegiance to every morning when we ask you to do this. It is a uh, small handheld flag, and it looks like it is propped up inside a coffee cup um, from Mesopotamia, Ohio, the Commons General Store. It says Mesopotamia, Ohio, but it's uh, basically a pen cup. It's got some pens and markers in it, and it's got a little handheld flag, and that's the one that she pledges to. See, that's all it takes. That's what I love about this. There's a reason I ask people to do it, too, because I like to um, uh, feature these kinds of things. It's, it means a lot. People think it's just this is some sort of, you know, whatever. It's a pseudo-patriotic virtue signal that, hey, look how patriotic we are. We do pledging on the radio. And people, you don't think people do it. People absolutely do. They have sent me these things before by the dozens. Like I said, I just don't have many more because they are on a now-defunct website. So I'm asking people to resend them to me one by one uh, on my DMs, you know, direct messages or PMs, private messages, whatever you call them, on my social media, on Facebook or on Twitter, which is now X or Truth Social or whatever it is that you have. Send those to me. I will highlight you and your picture on the radio. Well, I'll tell people that you sent me a picture anyway. Uh, but it's important to me because I know it's important to you. But people have sent me some really, really phenomenal things that they have because they're not in front of a full-size flag, but this is what they do. My favorite, of course, was the OG. The original was from somebody who texted me and, or called me. is a text or a message or whatever called me and said, I put a postage stamp, a flag postage stamp on my dashboard. He stuck it to his dashboard because he's in the car at the time we pledge every day. And so he wanted to have a flag that he could pledge to, and he did on us. That was the that was the start of this whole thing. So anyway, let's do that together now. And uh, if you are not a believer, if you don't believe that we should be deporting people who commit crimes that kill people and that put people in jeopardy in the United States of America, that America should be for Americans first and not for illegals who break our laws, if you don't believe that, well, then you don't believe in the in the glory of America. You don't believe in liberty, and you don't believe in that flag. So don't fake it. You can, instead of standing and pledging, you can take a knee like the other Marxists. For those of us who do believe, though... I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. So I hate to start a show with something as dramatic as Democrats hate America, but is there any other way to describe this story? Is there any other way to 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 uh, process and understand what they did yesterday? A hundred and fifty Democrats, in other words, uh, about eighty percent of the Democrats in the House, led by their Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries voted against deporting illegal aliens who were not accused of but convicted of drunk driving, which, of course, as you know, is one of the leading causes of death of others, not just the drivers 
who are drunk, but other innocent victims that they slam into in the United States every year. Suburban moms, as Stephen Miller tweeted yesterday, take note. Democrats think illegal alien trespassers who drink and drive should be immune from deportation. This is the party of no borders. They do not believe in borders, and they do not believe in laws. They do not believe in consequences. They do not believe in accountability. They do not believe in America. They literally want people who break their laws when they get here, to break our laws, I should say, just by arriving here. Then they break laws that put people in danger, like drunk driving, and they still are allowed to stay thanks to Democrats who oppose that bill. Not only that, Idiot Democrats, that's a little bit redundant, but but people like Jerry Nadler think that not only should we not deport criminal illegal aliens who drink and drive, but that we should use your tax dollars to expand public ride-sharing programs so we can give their drunk asses rides. But instead of working on proven solutions like like improving access to public transportation and ride-sharing programs, so that people have alternatives to driving drunk. Republicans are laying the blame for the problem at the feet of immigrants. You're damn right we are, you idiot. If illegal aliens come into this country, breaking our laws the moment they step foot one onto our soil, they are on a zero-tolerance policy from that point forward. Now you break another law, get the hell out of my, my country. That's it. And this is a serious one. And his answer is take your tax dollars to expand more public ride-sharing programs. Instead of putting the onus on the individuals who are breaking the laws and saying, if you can't drive, go and get into a taxi, call an Uber, do something other than drive, we should provide it for them. This is what Democrats think we should do. Now, if an American citizen gets caught drunk driving, you know what I want? I want their happy asses thrown in jail. I want them to not only lose their driver's licenses for a period of time, progressively if they are repeat offenders, obviously, but I want them thrown in jail. So this isn't about just putting this all at the feet of illegal aliens, but the bottom line is if they're illegal, arses aren't here, they can't break our laws and potentially kill people, which they are doing. Do you understand that? This is not hypothetical. This is something that is real. It is it is happening. American citizens are dying in in situations like this. There's been a story that's been featured lately of two, uh, of a uh, I think it was a father and a daughter killed in a crash committed by a drunk illegal alien who never should have been brought here, who never should have been allowed here, who should have come north through through um uh Mexico and gotten to the border and and run smack dab into a giant freaking wall. That's what should have happened, and they should have said, dang, how do we get over that? How do I get around that? There's nowhere to go because the wall extends from one natural barrier to the other. There's nowhere to get across. You can't scale it either because it's designed such that there is, there are, uh, there's no way to throw up a, a grappling hook on top. Uh, there's no way to tunnel under. In other words, we should secure our freaking border. That's what should happen. And if that had been done and Joe Biden had not rolled out the red carpet and said, come on in, we're going to give you guys eventually, uh, first of all, you're going to get asylum. Then you're going to get amnesty. Then you're going to get pathways to citizenship. Come on in to the tune of over 9 million since he's been president. 
That's the reality. Thousands of Americans have been victimized by crimes committed by illegal aliens, drunken driving, uh, accidents, murder, rape, manslaughter. How many times do we have to do this? An illegal alien from uh, El Salvador, by the way, I'm using the word alien intentionally. I'm going to use the word illegal as much as I can, too, because Pramila Jayapal, one of the squids, uh, uh, you know, the Hamas squad members, really, really hates that we use the word um, uh, illegal. She, she gave a little speech yesterday saying, we need to stop using the word illegals because no human beings are illegal. And, and, of course, all that makes me want to do is use it over and over and over again. And, and the other one, of course, is I'm using the actual word that is contained in the um, uh, U.S. Code to describe people who are here without authority. They are not natives. They are not Americans. They are aliens. It is literally the word that is used in U.S. law. So I'm not going to use illegal immigrants. I'm not going to use uh, uh, undocumented immigrants. They are illegal, number one, and they are aliens, number two. That's it. Understand it. Deal with it. So anyway, illegal aliens. Uh, where was I going with this? Oh, I know where I was going in this to tell you the other part of that story. So um, the I'm trying to find the name of the illegal alien who was uh, featured in the part that I was talking about here. An illegal immigrant fra- alien from El Salvador who had been arrested multiple times in Boulder, Colorado for DWI. Let me say that again. Multiple times. If he would have been deported after the first time, the illegal alien would not have been here to do this one. Last month in Colorado, this is the feature I was talking about, killing a mother and her son in a car crash, uh, in which police say involved alcohol. The Broomfield Police Department arrested 37-year-old Jose Guadalupe Menjivar Alas on December 15th in connection with a fatal crash three days prior on Main Street and Miramonte Boulevard. Minjivar Alas was driving a Toyota Tundra, blah, 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 crashed into a Mazda CX-5 driven by a 47-year-old named Melissa Powell. Powell and her son Reardon, also in the Mazda, were both killed in the crash. This is blood on the hands of Joe Biden. There's no other way to say that. I'm not going to look for another way to say that. It's reality. Meanwhile, Jerry Nadler says, you know, we should probably just, you know, start creating more publicly funded rideshare programs. No, we should absolutely not. They don't care about you. They don't care about your safety. They don't care about your security. And that's why we are sitting here. Now, to add to that, as if we need to add to any, anything further, you know what else? Illegal, or excuse me, um, uh, congressional Democrats voted against yesterday. They voted against deporting illegal aliens who steal your Social Security money. Once again, 75% of them refused to vote to deport illegal aliens. They either voted against this or they voted, uh, uh, did not vote, voted present, to, to deport illegal aliens who commit Social Security fraud. Why are Democrats protecting illegal aliens, illegal, 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 Pramila, illegal aliens more than our uh, senior citizens? And the money that you are paying into Social Security right now, that I am paying into Social Security right now, and that our seniors are supposed to be collecting, and that seniors eventually when we get there, we hope there will still be money left for us to collect, that we have poured into it for all of our working lives. Illegal aliens are stealing it, committing Social Security fraud. And when they're discovered, and they're prosecuted, and they're convicted, should they be deported? 
Hmm, I don't know. Let's ask reason and common sense. Hell yes, kick them out of our country. That's what reason and common sense say. But let's ask Democrats. No, no, because nobody is illegal, and they have a right to be here. This is uh, this is just extraordinary. Um, but if you're looking for more evidence of exactly how much today's modern Democrat Party hates this country and hates American citizens, let's talk about the fact that they also refuse to ban Hamas terrorists from the United States. Not all of them this time, but two of them. And yes, they are indeed among the uh, Hamas squad. During a vote on Wednesday, we didn't talk about this yesterday because we were so focused on the prosecutor's race here and the conversation with Attorney General Dave Yost. We were really, really hammering Ohio things yesterday, local things yesterday. So we didn't get to this. But Wednesday night, there was a bill that was put forth to bar Hamas terrorists from entering the United States. Okay? Representative Cory Bush, who is currently under investigation for felonious uh, misuse of campaign funds to pay off her husband to be her quote-unquote security guard, complete grift, along with the aforementioned No, I'm sorry, I mentioned Pramila Jayapal before. I have not yet mentioned this morning Sharia Tlaib. They voted against the bill, while Representative Delia Ramirez voted present. So three of them refused to vote to ban Hamas. Now, do we need to remind you who Hamas is? Just go back and look at the coverage that we have had from the October 7th terror attack. The things that they did... Were, were unfathomable. They did not just invade a, a, a sovereign nation. They didn't just paraglide into and over the barriers into Israel and, and, and occupy the land. No, they committed the most barbaric atrocities that you can commit on a people simply because they're Jewish and because they're in the, the nation state of Israel. They committed some of the most barbaric things that have been committed since the Holocaust. Those people have no business becoming, coming to the United States. It was an overwhelming vote. That said that, but the fact that three Democrats said, no, we're not voting for that. We're either voting against it or voting present on it. H.R. 6679 is called the No Immigration Benefits for Hamas Terrorist Acts. It states that any person who participated in, planned, financed, afforded material support to, or otherwise facilitated the October 7th attack on Israel, or attacks after that, quote, shall be ineligible for any relief under the immigration laws, end quote. Quote, any alien who carried out, participated in, planned, financed, afforded material support to, or otherwise facilitated the attacks initiated beginning October 7, 2023, is inadmissible, the bill states. 422 members of the House voted to pass this bill, but three of them did not. Two of them voted against it straight up. The other one said, I'm not taking a stand. I'm voting president. What is wrong with these people? What is wrong with a party that says people who come into this country and kill American citizens are allowed to stay, and people who kill other people in other countries in terrorist attacks are welcome to come in and avail themselves of our immigration uh, um, benefits? What 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 is wrong? I mean, you talk about you talk about America last. This is the party of America last. There's no other way to describe this. Governor Ron DeSantis in Florida 
He's still working hard. He's out of the presidential race, but he's still working hard, and he's doing the right things at the right time in the right places. You know, you, if you want to get on a commercial flight in this country, you know, you got to get a basically a cavity search. you got to show ID. you got to go through all the security. These illegals don't even need photo ID. They can fly on our planes without photo ID. You talk about putting the American people last. What the hell are we doing in this country? It is a total farce. It is exactly that, and that's why he announced yesterday that he is sending Florida National Guard troops from his state to support Governor Greg Abbott's efforts in Texas to stop the influx of illegal aliens. Illegal, 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 illegal. Pramila. Uh, illegal aliens at the southern border. In a Thursday press conference, uh, DeSantis announced he's sending a battalion of up to 1,000 soldiers from the Florida National Guard to Texas. This comes after a critical decision was passed down by the Supreme Court, as you know, allowing Customs and Border Patrol agents to remove razor wire placed there by Texas National Guardsmen along the border. Uh, the concern is that the White House is going to make good on their promise or their threat anyway to... Um, Com, uh, uh, commandeer Joe Biden to commandeer Texas's National Guard so that they can't put any more of that razor wire down. So Ron DeSantis is saying, yeah, hold my beer. Uh, here comes Florida's National Guard. You can't commandeer them. And away we go. All right, so that's just some of the uh, news this morning that you need to know and some of the obstacles, I guess, that we have to overcome if we are going to uh, try and protect and preserve this republic. Coming up in a few minutes, we're going to talk to Jack Windsor. We'll talk a little bit, a bit, a little bit about this stuff, but we're also going to talk to him about some very important issues in the state of Ohio. He is, of course, the founder of the Ohio Press Network, so Jack Windsor will be next. We'll get your phone calls after that. We've got a couple of other great guests today, including, again, Reggie Stoltzfus, who's going to be joining, joining us as a congressional... That's credit. Enlightening the sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always Right Radio with Bob France on The Answer. All right, it is 935 on this fist bump Friday. Seth reminded me, uh, Marianne did not. Uh, so, yeah, Seth reminded me that we do have a fist bump Friday uh, upon us. So virtual fist bumps to you. Make sure you give physical fist bumps to the people around you today. And make sure you tell them this is fist bump Friday. Put the knuckles up. They will reflexively give them back to you. And we will grow this little movement, which I think is something that we need. Let's welcome Jack Windsor back to our program. Jack Windsor is the founder and editor-in-chief of the Ohio Press Network. He has also uh, been hosting a radio show in our in Columbus with our Salem affiliate there, The Answer, and uh, for uh, Bruce Hooley and uh, Jack Windsor. I understand you're not feeling well today. You doing all right, my man? Yeah, I was out with the flu a couple of days earlier this week, mm. and uh, I feel great. My voice just has not caught up with my <laughs> with my. <laughs> physical feeling well that's and, good uh, yeah but well, i'm, I'm gl- good to go man i'm glad you feel well you just don't sound good i hate that that's the thing in our business you know you can feel great but if you have the laryngitis thing going on or the broken voice or whatever you just uh, you know it just doesn't work but uh, but i'm glad you feel better that's more important i'd rather feel good and sound bad than feel really bad but sound fine <laughs> that's a lousy Amen. that's a lousy way to go all right uh jack windsor there's a lot of uh, a lot of uh Stuff that we need to get in, into uh, here today. I want to start with the lawsuit. I talked yesterday with the um, uh, Attorney General Dave Yost and uh, asked him about how he and um, 
the rest of the officials in the state are going to defend themselves against the ACLU, which are suing the state uh, to stop the uh, implementation of the SAFE Act, which, of course, was passed overwhelmingly, vetoed, and then overridden by both chambers in the General Assembly. Now we're less than 90 days, I don't know exactly how many, from it taking effect. But there is a lawsuit to stop it. And uh, Attorney General Yost says they are ready. There is absolutely everything about that law that was passed is constitutional. There is nothing that they really have to grasp onto other than the fact that they don't like it because they have an agenda. But he said the state is ready to go. Your thoughts? I had a chance to talk yesterday um, with a woman by the name of uh, Malena Siebert, and she is a candidate for Ohio's uh, 12th Circuit Court. And she told me it's complicated procedurally. And I think that that's the part, um, and I'm interested, I need to go back and listen to your interview with Dave Yost and understand the argument side of it, right? Like, here are the facts, here's what we're going to argue. But procedurally, um, the ACLU is is going to shop for a venue in state court. Now, that's important because the Sixth Circuit Federal Court has already ruled on some of these issues. And, of course, they rule on them with respect to federal issues, right, like due process and equal protection under the law. Um, so the ACLU is going to bring this first at the state level. And I asked uh, Milena, I said, is this partly because they are shopping for a favorable venue? And she said, yes, I expect that that is part of it. Um, and so you have to think about, for example, the heartbeat bill. They shopped a venue um with a judge in the Cincinnati area, and he put the stay order, or he put the restraining order on it. So that is part of the concern procedurally, is if they find a favorable venue, um, they're going to, and then it's what do they argue, right? And I think what they're going to try to do, Bob, based on my conversation with Malena, is they're going to argue this from a state constitutional perspective. And so you and I have talked about this, lawmakers said, well, this isn't what issue one does. And I said, Bob, what they're going to do is they're going to let the ACLU and other non-government organizations wear the black hat and bring this through the court system. And I think this is where we're going to find out, or at least attorneys for the ACLU will argue that the state constitution affords minors the right to what they call gender-affirming care. And we'll pause there. This will likely then make its way to the state Supreme Court. If it makes its way to the state Supreme Court, that might be favorable on the level of does the state constitution afford these minors that right? However, lawyers, as you all know, they'll, they'll always try to expand the meaning and interpretation of the language. So my guess is the ACLU right now in crafting this lawsuit is working very hard to also create some federal issues. And when this does go up to the Supreme Court, if the Supreme Court rules on the state issue, that's decided. If they then rule on a federal issue, the party who loses can then take that federal issue up to the state Supreme Court. So procedurally, as I understand you it, mean to the You mean to the U.S. Supreme case. Court, right? Or the, mean, did I say the state? Yes. Yeah. Take it up to the Supreme Court of the United States. Yes, that's right. If they lose on a federal issue in state court, the losing party can appeal this, and then eventually it would make its way uh, to, to the Supreme Court of the United States. Right. Um, so th- that's a lot, um, and and it, and it can get a little bit complex and confusing. But the bottom line here yep. is that if if um, the state of Ohio wins, and all the way through the state Supreme Court, which I 
think they absolutely should. Uh, um, it's not over there. Um, the good news is, is there are conservative majorities in both, both the state Supreme Court and the U.S. Supreme Court. Now, that doesn't necessarily always mean what we want it to mean. We think, especially at the U.S. Supreme Court level, that there's a 6-3 to three majority, and therefore it's going to be a given. But we just saw uh, some unbelievable decisions being made by people like John Roberts and Amy Coney Barrett. So we don't really know. But if you are looking to protect kids and you are on the side of the overwhelming number of Ohioans um, who support uh, you know, uh, stopping the abuse of children, I guess, is the best way to say that. I mean, if you really, truly don't want to take kids who are confused, perhaps, and maybe following a trend or a fad, uh, and then permanently make them pay the price for that because they're irre- because of the irreversible nature of puberty blockers and hormones and, and surgical procedures and so forth, if you are opposed to that, you at least have to be feeling good about the fact that the SAFE Act did pass and there is a conservative, ultimate um, body, if you will, uh, that is sitting there in Columbus, uh, that if it gets there, you know, the, that that's who would be the deciding, uh, cast the deciding votes. I would agree with that. And I would only add that it, it will be a long process. And I think what happens at the beginning, we need to pay attention to and, and could be the most damaging. So if the ACLU shops for a venue that's favorable to their cause, and you have a judge who restrains this law, then all of a sudden, the moratorium on not only um, you know on on drugs is then off the table, so right. Um, right. that could be challenging. Um, but then I would also <clears throat> recommend that voters pay attention to the judge that would make that decision, uh, because you know you go to the ballot box and you vote that person out. That's exactly right. That is very true, and they need to know that ahead of time. People need to. I mean, seriously, we need to get loud about this. Those of us who believe in support uh, the Safe Act and the Save Women Sports Act that were that were passed and then overrode the veto, we need to let everybody know at the next level uh, as this is appealed. Uh, you know that uh, we're watching very very closely, and your future is going to be dependent on your your willingness to do what is right by these kids and what is right by the people of the state of Ohio. Okay, Jack, let's talk about the Senate race now. <clears throat> yep. Just. Um, uh, let's see. I'm trying to find the last poll prior to this one. Um, I can't find the date on it, but here's the bottom line. Bernie Marino has made a huge surge in the latest round of polling, according to Emerson College. The survey shows um, Sherrod Brown leading Matt Dolan in a hypothetical matchup 38 to 37, leading Frank LaRose in a hypothetical matchup 39 to 37, and Bernie Moreno by an identical 39 to 37. All of those results fall within the margin of error of 2.3%. But when just measured against one another, Bernie Moreno has seen a 10 point surge over the others. He leads the pack now with 22%. Uh, Frank LaRose very closely behind with 21%, and Matt Dolan with 15%. And, of course, uh, a lot of people are pointing to the Donald Trump endorsement as uh, carrying a lot of weight with the Bernie Moreno um, uh, increase in the polls. Jack, how do you analyze that? I, it, to me, I'm, I'm not surprised. In fact, I had Bernie on last week, and uh, after we did a postmortem, and I said, you know, it's interesting. There hasn't been a poll out since November. He said, I expect one next week. And he and I agreed, you know, we would expect that his numbers would see a massive increase. They have. And that has a lot to do with the Trump endorsement. Um, I will have for the first time this election cycle uh, today, Matt Dolan on my show. Uh, on, actually, it's, it's Bruce's show that I'm filling in for Bruce on. Sure. Um, and, and I want to talk with him. And I'm going to say this, and this is going to probably alarm some people. Um, 42 percent 
of those asked in this poll are undecided. And there are some people who uh, believe that Matt Dolan is the dark horse. And it's based solely on one thought, Bob, who is best positioned to beat Sherrod Brown. Um, and so there are some people who believe that because of, uh, you know, Bernie is going to get, if he were to win, he's going to get the Trump vote. He's going to get, you know, most Republican votes. There are people who believe that if Matt Dolan wins, certainly Trump voters are not going to vote for Sherrod Brown, but that he might actually bring under the tent some of those moderate Republicans, independents, and dare I say, um, soft Democrats. So it's an interesting race shaping up. I think Bernie is in poll position, but I think there are a lot of Republicans based on conversations I've had. And when I say a lot, Bob, I have to be really careful. You and I are in the we've done this. We think about it probably more than the average Joe. But there are a lot of people who are, who are going, who can beat Sherrod? That's what I care about. Now, the average voter might just be like, well, Trump said Bernie, Bernie's my guy. But it's going to be an interesting race, and I think it's far from over. Agreed uh, on all of those accounts. Uh, first of all, congratulations on getting him. We have been uh, reaching out to Matt Dolan for a very long time to get him to come on, and he has uh, not responded. And I'm not surprised because he knows uh, that he's going to be in for a challenging interview because I'm going to ask him a whole lot of questions. He's going to have a hard time answering in a conservative way about his record and about what he has done and what he has said. So good luck to you. Maybe you can share that with us and we can play it for our folks up here so that they can hear him uh, answer your tough questions. And uh, uh, but but it is interesting that, you know, he is considered perhaps at the best position to beat Sherrod. And I'm trying to figure out why LaRose is the only one of the three that has won a statewide election and he has won them multiple times, which means that name recognition would would seem to give him an edge from that standpoint. If it's about campaign funds and the ability to outspend and thus, you know, reach more people, um, that Bernie Marino is just as well positioned as Matt Dolan is, and, and Bernie, of course, has that Trump endorsement, which has already manifested itself in a huge leap from the last poll to this one, ten points plus, and that's uh, among a primary and a primary vote. Uh, you better believe that every Trump voter and Trump won this state by eight points twice in 2016 and 2020. You better believe they're going to do what he tells them to do or, you know, the vote for the candidate that he endorses. And they're going to come out with a high turnout, I think, in a, in a Bernie Moreno uh, versus Sherrod Brown uh, uh, hypothetical showdown. So I'm kind of curious as to why the belief is that you're talking about among some that uh, political analysts that say Matt Dolan is best position. I'm not seeing it. So let me first start by saying uh, the folks that I talk with and, you know, to, to wear my party on my sleeve, I don't know if I necessarily need to do that, but uh, I tend to believe this, too. All three of these candidates are better than Sherrod Brown. But let me let me scope it up for you this way. The world that we live in, the government not only lies to us, but they weaponize its intelligence community to pursue us if we oppose it. The press tells their side of the story. Now, imagine trying as a voter to discern truth from falsity, fact from fiction. And you and I could spend the next hour talking about the crazy stories of drag queen shows and all the parents losing kids because they're not going to gender transition. them. That's the crazy world that we live in. I say that and you go, what the hell does that have to do with this race? All three of these candidates, I will repeat, are better than Sherrod Brown. I think that there are some people who look at Frank LaRose and go, okay, I know that J.D. Vance didn't support Donald Trump, and, and he fell on his sword, and I kind of believe it. Do I believe that Frank LaRose really supports the, the, the America First agenda? Bernie Marino, 
maybe he does. There are some people who say, I don't think Bernie's as conservative, right? And and those two are back and forth on the stage, kind of exchanging blows. There are some people who go, I know who Matt Dolan is. Matt Dolan doesn't pretend to be pro-Trump. He, he says that he's America first, and he says these are the reasons that he is. He says, yep, I supported this gun law. Here's why. And there are some people, Bob, who would rather have somebody that is authentic, and they may not agree with him on every position, versus having to guess, is this person a, a, a wolf in sheep's clothing? I think that's what it boils down to, and I think that's part of, and I'll, I'll ask Matt that today, like, what, what is your strong point? What, what differentiates you, and how do you plan on beating Sherrod Brown, who has one of the most durable brands in Ohio politics? It's a really interesting analysis. Um, in other words, the devil you know versus the devil you don't. Um, you know, we already know what 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 Matt Dolan's weaknesses are, and we we don't know what they are. I I, I personally think that's a horrific strategy uh, uh, or or way to approach this. Uh, so the folks that you're talking to, if they're going to vote for Matt Dolan, because well, we know what he is, and we don't know exactly how conservative. <laughs> I guarantee you Matt Dolan is, or uh, Bernie Marino and Frank LaRose are no less conservative than Matt Dolan, and the only possibility is that they are far more conservative than Matt Dolan. In my view, based on the positions that Dolan has taken, the votes that he has made, the statements that he has made, obviously the um, culture battle uh, with him and his family agreeing to get rid of uh, you know uh, over a century of history with the Indians and, and the whole nine yards, you ask me, I, I'm approaching it in exactly the opposite way. Yeah, you're right. We do know who Matt Dolan is, but we know that to be somebody who is a rhino at best. We, If we don't know if, if Moreno is as conservative as we hope, we know it's not going to be less conservative than than Dolan, and the same thing with LaRose. So in my view, total personal opinion here, I would rather take one of the other two guys who have a chance to be, and you don't have to be pro-Trump, by the way, to be conservative. I reject flatly anybody who says that if you aren't for Trump, you're a rhino. That's something that the Trump campaign wants wanted to paint everybody else in the uh, primary. You know, DeSantis is a rhino. DeSantis voters are rhinos. Anybody who supports supported uh, uh, Nikki Haley, they're all rhino. Everybody's rhino unless you're for Trump. That's crap. You can be totally America first and conservative agenda through and through, but be a fan of somebody else as the the leader. You know, for that executive office. So. For me, it isn't about who's willing to kiss Donald Trump's ring, whether Frank LaRose does or not. Uh, obviously, Bernie got the endorsement. That's irrelevant to me. What is relevant is who is going to actually back America First ideas, MAGA ideas. And, and, and that, to me, is who I want to face Sherrod Brown. I don't agree with your line of thinking at all. Um, and I don't really have much to add to it other than... Um, and, and I'm not trying to point out Trump's flaws because uh, I believe he's been one of the most successful presidents in my lifetime. And a lot of people say that. I genuinely mean it. Because if nothing else, he exposed what was going on. Americans have, uh, I don't know, validation, if you will, that what we suspected for a long time, Donald Trump's life in, in, in politics has proven that there is a cabal, there is a swamp, there is a district that is hell-bent on protecting itself, not American people. And if you go against them, they will come after you. And that alone is valuable. And I think that he gave us the playbook on how to deal. Yeah, with, yeah, but Jack, uh, but what NATO, you're arguing right China. now, what you what you're arguing right now, kind of goes against what you were just saying, though, about why some people would support Matt Dolan. 
Because Dolan doesn't believe in Trump. And Dolan, everything you're, you're praising about Trump right now, which, by the way, is accurate, you're 100% right about that, you would think that would lend more credibility to the endorsement of Bernie Moreno than to play for Matt Dolan. Well, I, I agree. Um, but I would also point to the fact that spending under Trump was high. Um, I believe Trump got it wrong with COVID. I believe that Trump should have fired Fauci. I believe that there are a lot of things that I would have done differently. Um, now, I think he got it right, as in, hey, this is a state right issue. States have to deal with it individually because, you know, this virus is different in Alabama than it is in Florida or Ohio. Um, and so I'm simply saying, I think that, but to, to, by the way, to look at Donald Trump and to say that you're going to vote for him or not vote for him based on his policy position, that's really good in a vacuum. Unfortunately, Bob, we live in a clown car world where the press has demonized Donald Trump. And even people who look at him go, well, if he's the nominee, I'm just not going to vote. Now, I don't get that because what you're doing is you're giving a free pass to the elite global Marxists to finish the takeover and capture of this country. So, you know, we can thank the press for, you know, making Orange Man bad, not only a slogan, but something deep in the hearts of Sane people previously who are now insane. Okay, somehow we got into discussing Donald Trump and his candidacy, and that's not what I'm talking about at all. I think it should be a given that anybody who is uh, uh, not, you know, not supportive of an open borders, crime-ridden, uh, high-inflation hellhole that the country has been under under Joe Biden is going to vote for Donald Trump. We all are, and we're going to not only vote for him, we're going to campaign for him. But. Everything that you just said, again, let's talk about his popularity in this state. Okay. In this state, he he is very popular, again, looking at both 2016 and 2020. And so, to me, that has, has got to weigh more you know, in the favor of Bernie Moreno, which, of course, is what our original question here is, than it does for Matt Dolan, who may indeed say that I'm somewhat America first. I don't buy it, but he says it, but who has been very openly defiant of Donald Trump. Bernie Moreno has not been. In a, in a, I would agree. In a primary, it does. But I would also point to the fact that 42% are still undecided. I know. In a primary, it helps Bernie Marino. In a general election... In a election, general, too, though, doesn't it? Because doesn't it crank out the mm-hmm. turn out the vote more? Because, you know, Trump supporters are going to be like, hey, Trump's guy is up against Chair Brown. We can actually take that guy down this time. There are a lot of independent and moderate Republicans who will not vote for a Trump-endorsed candidate. That's a very interesting uh, analysis and a very interesting question that is going to have to be answered over the course of, uh, you know, obviously the next, uh, what, six weeks, six and a half weeks before the primary, yep. and then uh, and then see what, if it is Bernie Moreno who wins that primary, what he can do as a Trump-endorsed candidate to crank those moderates uh, uh, out and, uh, and to turn them around and say, no, you've got you've to gotta do this. I have to believe that even moderate Republicans cannot possibly defend and justify having Sherrod Brown get another term. No matter which of these three is the the nominee, they cannot justify that and either not vote in that race or vote Sherrod Brown. I have to believe even moderate Republicans would rather support a Moreno or a LaRose or a Dolan. But obviously that's what time will tell. Uh, Wow, Jack, we had six topics to get to. We did two. (laughs) That means we have to come back next week and do it better. Uh, We'll do it. Jack, thank you for coming on. I appreciate it. Keep up the great work with the Ohio Press Network.
you too, brother. Thanks. Bye. All right. 9.56. We'll take our time out here. We're going to come back. We've got Ken Cuccinelli, uh, who is the national chairman of the Election Transparency Initiative. He's going to join us to talk about the election. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Darkness. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420. The answer is your host, Bob France. All right, hour number two of a fist bump Friday underway. Seven minutes past 10 o'clock. Thanks for being with us. It's the second morning of the month of division in the year of our Lord, 2024. We'll talk more about that, too. We'll revisit... uh, um, one of the one of the best statements on Black History Month that I've ever heard, uh, but that'll be coming up in a bit. But we want to pay attention now to the upcoming election. We obviously have a primary on March 19th. We have the most important federal election of our lifetimes, and I know we said that four years ago, but it was true four years ago. It is now even more important uh, coming up in November. And uh, joining us now is the national chairman of the Election Transparency Initiative, uh, who also happens to be the uh, former acting director of the U.S. Citizenship and Immigration Services and then acting deputy secretary for the Department of Homeland Security, Ken Cuccinelli. Mr. Cuccinelli, good to have you back on our program. How are you? I'm better than America. I hope you are. <laughs> yeah, well, it's uh, that's a sad way to phrase it, but it's also an accurate way. So I guess we have to take what, take might it for well, what it is. Might as well laugh about it. Might yeah, well. right. Uh, yeah, there, there's not much more we can do there. So, so let's dive in. I've got a couple of things I want to talk to you about the upcoming elections and election uh, sure. uh, integrity, but I also want to talk to you about the border bill that is being bandied about. Obviously, you're uh, very, very deep experience in protecting this yep. country from a security standpoint. We we want to take advantage of that, but but let's start with this. Um, uh, the, uh, the the report that we got from the Honest Elections Progr- uh, Project, okay, uh, they have come out <clears throat> with a report outlining the top election security threats for 2024, and they say there are a, a myriad of them uh, and, and that this entire thing could go sideways. The report calls for, quote, honest rules for honest elections, listing 14 main areas the states, states should address, including banning ranked choice voting, which I want to ask you about, blocking Zuckbucks 2.0, banning non-citizens from voting in elections, consolidating election dates, requiring voter ID, and protecting vulnerable mail ballots. You can pick any one of those or two of those that you want to talk about, Mr. Piccinelli, but start with ranked choice voting, because a lot of people don't understand what that one is. So ranked choice voting is a voting scheme where... um, you, instead of having the plurality vote winner, so let's say there's three people running and I get 45% of the vote, I'm going to win the race, right? 45 to 30 to 25. Um, I don't need 51%. So ranked choice voting demands a 51% majority, but instead of having a runoff like some states do, like Louisiana or Georgia, <clears throat> they have what they sometimes call an instant runoff or ranked choice voting, where when you go to vote, the ballot looks a lot different than what you're used to. Instead of voting for the person you want to win, you rank all the candidates, one through, in my example, three. Mm -hmm. But it's a lot more confusing when you get to four, five, six, you know, some innumerable number of candidates. And you mentioned the primary on March 19th. As you have seen when you vote, 
there are times you go into these primary elections and there's a dozen candidates running. Well, the idea of ranking all of these folks, um, perhaps most of whom most voters have never heard of, confuses voters tremendously. And so what ends up happening is they sort of, many of them will check the box for the one they want to vote for, and that'll be treated as a first rank. But if there's a, if nobody wins 50% of the vote, then the system is supposed to drop the lowest vote getter and reallocate all of the people who picked the losers as the first choice and take their second choice. And those votes get piled on to the other candidates and so on, round after round, until somebody breaks 50%. Well, what often happens is the person who wins the first round, who would normally win the election, doesn't win. And because voters are so many voters are confused by it all, and it's such a sloppy ballot process, you have what's called ballot exhaustion. People just stop voting. And, you know... When they bring this to you, they say, oh, this will be great. Everybody will love it, and there'll be more voter participation. In fact, University of Minnesota study found there is less voter participation or at least um, or at least no change, and it, to the extent there's less voter participation, that's more true with minority voters, you know, exactly the most sensitive populations that we spend so much of our time talking about access for. And Honest Elections Project, led by Jason Sneed, we work with them at the Election Transparency Initiative all the time, fighting ranked choice voting. There are bills in states all over the country, some trying to advance ranked choice voting and some trying to block it. But I will tell you, in Virginia, it was used in local elections in the most radical left partisan Democrat county, Arlington, right across the river, the Potomac River from Washington, D.C., used it. And they very quietly, they used it in their primary locally, and they very quietly said, you know what, we're not going to use this anymore because it's such a mess. And uh, so lots of confusion, lots more expense. Political leftists that are pushing this believe they can squeeze out conservatives using this process. That's the goal. That's really why they're doing it. So this is a real problem. Um, and... Um, as we see actual usages of it, if people pay close attention, what you'll find is they have more problems than solutions. But for 2024, for the presidential, ranked choice voting is really a legislative fight right now. <clears throat> it's not something you're going to see a lot of, though there are a couple of states, like Maine, where ranked choice voting is used, and I believe they're using it in the presidential, unfortunately. And we're going to see an example of what a mess that is. Uh, but there's also the basics, like having to show an ID to vote, securing mail ballots, because such a large proportion of votes come in by mail now, not mass mailing out ballots to the whole voter roll, because everybody's voter rolls are dirty. They're unclean. So if you go two years between elections, 2% a month is almost half the electorate just in those two years. Now that varies district by district, but the idea that 
your voter rolls are going to stay accurate from one election to the next without much effort um, is pretty fanciful. And it's one of those areas where every state could could do better. And frankly, we'd all do better if they used more private databases and didn't just rely on government databases. I'll complain about the post office, right? And why are we relying on the post office's national change of address database um, as the primary way to update voter files? That's silly. If they're so bad at everything else, why do we think they can help us keep voter rolls clean? Whereas if you want to sell something on Amazon, by golly, they're going to run you through 99 databases to make sure you you are who you say you are and you live where you say you live. And they're unbelievably accurate. They're very fast, and they're pretty cost effective. Well, why don't we? Why doesn't government do that? We can't. Is, is, isn't there a fundamental mistrust though of privatizing those kinds of things, thinking they could be uh, run by partisans and people who might not uh, deliver the accurate accuracy so that, we're looking for? So that's a that's a great question. There's no escaping the fact that government people are in charge of this. And um, it, I would say there's a substantial mistrust of the election system today. We know there is. The data shows us there is. Um, but this is an actual solution. And if we can actually make voter rolls cleaner, groups like the Voter Reference Foundation, vote reps, uh, there are 501c3 that uses the government's own records to assess the accuracy of their voting systems. And using, for example, uh, Nevada's own records of who vote ref has showed they literally don't ever count the same way twice. And, um, and I mean, we're talking about thousands of ballots here that, that can't be explained. And that's using the government's own records. There's no crazy conspiracy theory people injecting machine things in here. We're literally using the government's own data. So uh, the trust factor is a problem. You're absolutely right that the Election Transparency Initiative, which, by the way, people can find at electiontransparency.org, that's our gold standard, is that after the election is over, the loser can feel confident about the outcome because they can see the whole process except how people mark their ballots. And we have a long way to go to get there, but we are making progress. We are, you know, it's February of 2024. I can tell you we're a whole lot better off than we were in February of 2020. A whole lot better off. Doesn't mean we don't have a lot more work to do. And everybody listening to you and me can do something about this. Every single locality in this country brings citizens in and pays them, by the way, not a princely sum, but pays them a little bit of money to be election officials. If you want elections to run well, go run the election. Go run the poll book. Count the ballots. Be on the inside. And in most states, under most state laws, they balance the numbers of election workers. I'm not talking about poll watchers for campaigns. I'm talking about the people who actually run the election. When you show up and Maybe show your ID and the the lady behind the desk checking off your name and making sure you have the address on the matches the poll books and so forth. Everybody listening to you and me can go do that. It's a, it's a citizenship duty. It goes. It'll do more than anything to secure our elections. We proved that in Virginia in 2021, as you'll recall, Glenn Youngkin 
and win some tears, and Jason mm-hmm. Miares swept the governor, lieutenant governor, and attorney general races statewide with an entirely Democrat set of rules because over 4,000 Virginians who were upset about how 2020 went stepped forward and became election officials and helped run the election. And one of those new officials spotted the biggest cheat going on, which was our biggest county not using the voter ID mechanism in place for absentee ballots which for Virginia is is showing the last four digits of your social security number. And the reason that's so valuable is that these outside groups don't know your social security number, so they can't mass mail the ballot. And they they were doing that, and hundreds of them were being allowed to vote because this registrar wasn't following the law. And one of the new election officials spotted it, called foul, A lawsuit was brought, and this is interesting. We lost the lawsuit. But you know what? They stopped the cheating by just shining a light on it. And we found out it was happening in two other counties in Virginia, too. So everybody listening can help stop uh, election fraud and can help secure the elections by becoming an election official. You can call your local registrar. You can contact us at the Election Transparency Initiative at electiontransparency.org. And um, certainly in your state, that's needed, but it's really needed everywhere. There's nowhere that isn't important. And I'd urge everybody listening, especially younger folks, to go in and secure these elections themselves. Well, that's important. That's extraordinarily important. And, and you're right about our state because, you know, we're, we're dealing with, I just had our attorney general on yesterday, Dave Yost, who rejected the uh, uh, latest proposal language uh, for a ballot initiative to essentially overhaul all voting in the state. It would create uh, like tons of ballot drop boxes, um, uh, automatic registration upon uh, getting a driver's license, uh, same day registration in case you don't. You don't have to show that driver's license, by the way. No voter ID required. I mean, it's just, um, it's just a, a, a plethora of different ways to essentially have a, an unsecured election. Yeah, yeah, to say, okay, to, to put it blatantly, to cheat. So he rejected it because the uh, name of it is misleading and the language is mis- misleading. But eventually, by July, I think he said the deadline is, they're going to get the language right, and this is going to go on the ballot. Uh, and it's going to be a, a ballot initiative in which the people of the state, not the legislature, can decide if this is what they want. So we might be in very serious so, jeopardy if this gets through. You know, so in Michigan, they had a ballot referendum that did all the terrible things you say, and it prevailed. And it prevailed because the bad guys who want to unsecure elections outspent us about five to one. And they they said this will protect voter ID. That's what their their line was. You know what it did? It it stopped the requirement for voter ID. Yet here they are advertising lying, flat out lying. And they use everybody's um, affinity, their appreciation for voter identification as a simple security measure uh, to pass the referendum that undoes voter identification. So, you know, we're going to be outspent. Keeping that language clean and clear is very important. If people know what these things do, like in New York, they had ballot initiatives, and, and the common sense side won in New York in a statewide vote. And it wasn't very close when the left tried to undo various protections that are written into the New York Constitution. 
So, you know, you throw 100 Americans, random Americans in a room, well, pretty much 85% agree on what a good election system should look like. And it should have voter ID. It should only be U.S. citizens. It should be clear from end to end, not including you get secrecy for who you mark your ballot for. But all those kinds of things, Americans overwhelmingly agree on, no matter the color of their skin, no matter their partisan tendency. Um, and it's only the radicals that want to try to divide us over all of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, ordinary, common-sense Americans want secure, clean elections. And if they believe that was the case, the trust factor you mentioned, that such a problem would start to diminish. And we need it to because elections are the foundation of our constitutional republic. And if people don't believe the outcome of these elections, that leads to very bad alternative behavior. Let's just put it that way. We are uh, talking with Ken Cuccinelli, National Chairman of the Election Transparency Initiative. I've got more questions for you. I would ask you about that Dominion machine that was hacked in a Georgia courtroom in about seconds to yeah. change a vote. But I, I, wanted, I want to take advantage of the last three or four minutes we have here to ask you about what you think is going to happen in the Congress. Uh, the Senate has this bipartisan bill that is going to essentially uh, send about $60 billion to Ukraine, about $15 billion to Gaza, and a few billion dollars to uh, the southern border. Uh, but it's not going to eliminate the problem because they're going to allow, if I understand it correctly, up to 1.8 million illegal aliens crossing per year before Joe Biden would then, quote, unquote, shut down the border. Um, Mike Johnson, the speaker says this is DOA on our side, but I don't know if that's going to hold. What are your thoughts? No, it'll hold. If the speaker says it's dead on arrival, he can keep it from moving forward. Um, by his control of the process. And you hit a key point. Don't measure money for the border as helping. If you, if you pay more people to process people in faster, you're not making the problem better. You're making it worse. And uh, the president has all the tools he needs to so-called shut down the border today. A president can order the the U.S. military to the border. It doesn't mean they need tanks and planes. But we have enough manpower to close down the border in between the legal ports of entry. The problem isn't that they don't have the ways to keep them out. It's that they want them to come in. That's the problem. And um, you don't solve that with money. You solve that with policy and political willpower actually implemented. I think the best, the only money that could be useful is give it to Texas and urge Texas to start returning people back to Mexico using its self-defense power to defend its own borders against invasion, which it has under Article 1, Section 10 of the Constitution. That's the only thing that will really be that money will be useful for in protecting the border. Agreed. And and you know what's very frustrating about this, Mr. Guccinelli, is the fact that Joe Biden can, and his uh, supporters continue to say he needs to have this emergency tool passed in order for him to be able to do this. Section 212F, uh, 8 U.S. Code 1182, uh, says uh, whenever the president finds the entry of aliens or any class of aliens may be detrimental to the interests of the United States, he may, by proclamation, end it. Suspend the entry of all aliens yep. the moment he wants to. He already has the tools he needs. They're playing he games with us, the aren't tools. they? You're exactly right. You're absolutely right. 212F is what we refer to that in short. Uh, president Trump used that at various occasions when he was president. He never put, the, never put the troops on the border to stop people from coming in completely. But 
um, he had the willpower to keep people from coming in that Joe Biden does not have. And um, while, as you point out quite correctly, while they're talking as if they're doing everything we can, and, you know, it reminds me of the old Bill Clinton 30, I've never worked so hard in my life, <laughs> as if, you know, this major uh, deficit was such a surprise when he came into the White House. I still remember that speech. But this is Joe Biden um, on the border. I, you know, oh, gosh, it's so out of control. Uh, Trump. Trump messed it up. They say that, too, right? Whereas on day one, he eliminated all the protections that we put in place to protect America and Americans from the invasion. We weren't 100% successful. We were never 100% successful. Um, but we were a lot closer to it because we were trying. <laughs> we were trying to keep them out instead of trying to let them in. And that's the difference, and it makes all the difference in the world. Absolutely, it does. Ken Cuccinelli, National Chairman, Election Transparency Initiative. Uh, Thank you so much for your time. We appreciate your dedication to this country. And thank you. We'll talk again. Thank you, sir. All right, there's Ken Cuccinelli. It's 1028. We'll take a time out here. Coming up, Reggie Stoltz wants to. All right, 1037, as we continue on this free for all Friday, also a fist bump Friday. Make sure you put those knuckles up. Tell everybody you see it's fist bump Friday. Get that thing going. We got to trend it, we got to make it. just a little bit more tolerable to be around people that uh, we don't know today. Uh, seriously, uh, the division is as brutal. Got to find a way to connect in some way. Fist bump Friday for everybody. So Bill Johnson, <clears throat> highly regarded. Uh, my, my favorite thing about Bill Johnson is always going to be uh, the, the job that he did to direct funding and help Chris Long, uh, Pastor Chris Long with the Ohio Christian Alliance, get the uh, D-Day Memorial Prayer added to the World War II Memorial in uh, Washington, D.C. He stepped up in a huge way. I was honored to be down there for that dedication a couple of years ago when uh, Chris asked me to MC that. But uh, Bill Johnson's leaving. In fact, he's gone. He's he's gonna, the new president of Youngstown State University. So that creates a hole in Congressional District 6. It is uh, a vacancy. And we need it filled by somebody who is a strong, rock-solid conservative. One guy who's running for it is a current state representative in District 50, and he's, he has a reputation of being exactly that, a rock-solid conservative. His name is Reggie Stoltzfus, and he joins us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Mr. Stoltzfus, good to talk to you. How are you? Hey, Bob, I'm doing great. Happy Fist Bump Friday to you. Glad to be on your show. Right back at you. By the way, is Reggie okay? Because Stoltzfus is going to make me trip four or five times, I can tell, between now and the end of the conversation. Please call me Reggie. <laughs> I appreciate that. Normally, I like to make sure to you know use the you know the proper uh, greeting and uh, not be so informal. But uh, Stoltzfus, uh, in promoting your interview today, I've already tripped over it a few times, so I want to make sure I don't screw it up anymore. Okay, so let's uh, let's let everybody who doesn't know about you know about you. You're from Stark County. I know that much. Uh, tell us a little bit about your your background and uh, and and especially your service in the Ohio House. And then we'll talk about Congress. Yes, thanks, Bob. Mm-hmm. Like I said, uh, like you said, I'm Reggie Stolstus. I live in southern Stark County, just north of the town of Minerva. Live on a farm, raise some beef cattle. My wife and I started a small business 19 years ago. We manufacture wood roof trusses, and uh, we've uh, grown that into a pretty good company. The Lord has blessed that. Uh, my wife and I have been married for 21 years. We have four children, ages 20, 17, 16, and 10. And, uh, you know... I got into politics, Bob, back in 2010 when Barack Obama signed the ACA into law. 
and uh, became a township trustee later on in 2015. And uh, in 2018, I was elected to the state legislature, and I'm currently serving my third term. And I really enjoy doing that. And, uh, you know, when Bill Johnson, our congressman, announced he was found, we, I knew we needed a good conservative to take his place, and that's why I'm running. Bob. Well, that's a that's a good background, and uh, and you know what I love about that uh, personal great personal information too. But I love the fact that you have been exactly what you just said in this uh, now in your third term. You have the most conservative voting record in the Ohio legislature in the entire General Assembly. That's huge, and you were uh, one of the sponsors of the Save Women Sports Act. So with that in mind. Um, Tell me your feelings about the uh, the lawsuit that's been filed by the ACLU to overturn or to block, rather, the implementation of the SAFE Act and the Save Women Sports Act, which, of course, were combined. Tell me uh, any thoughts on that. Well, yes, and, and I was the original author of the Save Women Sports Act five years ago. It took us five years to get it across the line, Bob, and that's just that's how government works. And uh, we're glad to have that across the finish line. And, you know, I would expect nothing less from the ACLU to have a lawsuit to, uh, you know, stop this law from from coming to fruition. Um, I don't think it's going to work. You know, it's a common sense law protecting minors, protecting young women, protecting our daughters, our granddaughters. And uh, it's just not going to work, Bob. Yeah, well, it better not work. Uh, first of all, the fact that it took five years to get through is simply, it's one of the things we all hate about government. Those of us who are on the outside of it, uh, we can throw stones, I suppose, but uh, we we don't like it. We don't like the pace of play. Things that need to get done need to get done quickly and effectively, and uh, the fact that it took five years for something as common sense as don't let boys ruin girls' sports, which have been protected by Title IX for five decades, for crying out loud, it shouldn't take five, a half a decade uh, to make that happen. But the, here we are. I mentioned your rating. This is uh, something that is not to be overlooked. The Institute for Legislative Analysis came out with their rankings of uh, conservative votes um, throughout the entire Ohio General Assembly. And Representative Reggie Stoltzfus, with 92.41% rating, is literally number one. And again, this goes from uh, into the representatives and the senators combined, the entirety of the of the assembly. Um Obviously, you're doing things for the right reason, but this has to be something that you're going to carry and uh, uh, into this into this uh, primary and into uh, the fight for a seat in Congress. Uh, tell me where your where your conservative values come from, and and uh, this is obviously something you're very passionate about, given that record. Absolutely, my conservative values come from my faith, Bob. You know, I'm I'm a conservative Christian man, and. Uh, all that I do, everything I am, I, I do to serve the Lord, and I've done that at the state house. Um, I'm a fiscal conservative, and uh, just like I run a business, I, I run that fiscally sound. And uh, you know, when when we vote on bills in the Ohio House, there's a lot of pork attached to the bills a lot of times, and you know, I call those things out, and you know, I vote no on those things because they're not in the best interest of Ohioans. They're hidden in the bills, and Ohio have no idea what's even in them. And, uh, you know, I've been a champion at, at calling those things out and voting no on bad policy, and I'm honored to have that ranking of number one. Um, it, it's a badge of honor, and, uh, you know, it just it shows who I am as a person, how I vote, and that's exactly what I'm going to do in Washington, Bob. You know, I don't I'm, – I'm not the biggest fundraiser because I don't – cater to the lobbying community. I'll, I'll just be quite honest with you there. 
and uh, because because I don't vote always the way the lobbying community wants. And, uh, you know, that's exactly how I'm going to vote in Washington. I'm, I'm going to have a high ranking just like that in Washington because those are my values, Bob, and I'm going to take them right with me to D.C. You know, um, I, I did an interview um, for a TV show a few days ago with uh, a conservative candidate for Congress in, in North Carolina uh, named Kenny Shue. And uh, I asked him the same question I'm about to ask you because he said some of the very same things. And I love the idealistic attitude that I'm going to go in there and I'm going to vote my conscience. I'm going to do what's right and I'm going to get this done and that done and this thing, this done. And, and I asked him about the swamp, Reggie, and I want to ask you about the same thing here. You go down there to D.C. and you've got all of these great ideas and things that you're going to stand on, but then you find out the only way you get anything, uh, anything passed uh, that's important to you is to get other people to vote for it, other other members of the uh, you know of the uh, the conference, and then ultimately of the entire house, and you you get everybody on your side and 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 enough to to pass this. But they're not going to do that unless you also agree to vote for one of theirs. And and oftentimes these are things you do not support, but you know you need what you know what is most important to you is the is the bill that you're sponsoring, the one that you're proposing. So it becomes quid pro quo. It's the definition of the swamp. How does Reggie Stoltzfus, go down to Washington, D.C., and battle the swamp and still keep that integrity that is so important to you? That's a great question, and I've, I've done it in Columbus. You know, I've, I've been pressured by um, speakers to vote for certain bills. I'll give you, for instance, House Bill 6, um, that bill that was passed four years ago, terrible bill. I had heavy pressure to vote for that, and I voted no. And, uh, you know, look what's happened with that. Uh, speakers in federal prison now, and... Uh, you know, I'm not going to change my principles when I get to Washington. I'm Reggie Stolzfus, and that's who I'm going to be. And, uh, you know, when you need to get things done, you need to get things done. You have to have relationships with people. That's true. Um, you have to work together. That's true. But that doesn't mean you have to compromise your principles and your values. And, uh, you know, I don't intend to do that. I'm not going to do that. So, again, what I've done in Columbus, it's exactly what I'm going to do in Washington, Bob. I'm I'm, I'm going to stand strong on my convictions, and uh, that's how we're going to that's how we're going to work this. Let's talk for a second. We're talking with Reggie Stoltzfus. If you just turned us on, he is a uh, the, he is a, a Republican representative in the state house in District 50. He's running for Congress in District 6. His primary opponent is going to be Michael Rooley. I interviewed Michael. Uh, I don't know three weeks ago or something like that about. Uh, a couple of important issues, and uh, he, he sounded very impressive. He sounded like he was very conservative. Uh, pretty much everything that we, we discussed, we agreed with. But I'm looking at your analysis <clears throat> on your campaign page, uh, Reggie, and you call him a rhino, a Republican in name only, uh, and you say that he has worked with the extreme left on a host of issues. Tell me the big difference. Uh, what's the separator between yourself and Michael Rooley? Well, the big difference is on the social issues. Bob, um, he has co-sponsored Senate Bill 11, um, which is the Fairness Act, which in that bill, it, it specifically states that, uh, you know, biological men can enter into the spaces of women, destroying Title IX. Um, it even goes as far as to say that uh, biological men can have to be allowed to enter into domestic violence shelters or they will lose state funding. It's It's crazy what language is in this bill that he co-sponsored by the way he was the only republican to join all the democrats in co-sponsoring that bill 
And then he went further, and he was the author of Senate Bill 119, last General Assembly, um, which is the Fairness Act, which would do the exact same thing. Um, Again, allow biological men in all public accommodations that our daughters and our granddaughters enjoy, destroying Title IX. That's the difference between us, Bob. I want to protect my two daughters, my wife, you know, everybody's daughters. I want to protect them, and uh, my opponent seems it's appropriate that we allow um, men who identify as women to enter into those those spaces. Yeah, um, I have to tell you, we didn't discuss social issues when I had them on before, but uh, this is all very, very important information because I concur one billion percent. Uh, men have no business, not only in women's sports, of course, the Safe Sports Women's Sports Act that you sponsored uh, was something that I backed uh, wholeheartedly, but anything having to do with private spaces, uh, whether it's restrooms or showers or dorms or any other kind of facilities like that, that is a non-starter for me. And if people are going to be supportive of that in Congress and, uh, or in any legislative body, or uh, quite frankly, um, it's not going to be something that I support. So it's important that you get that out there. Um, what are you looking at on the, uh, on the other side of things? Well, first of all, what's your polling look like? Do you have any internal polling or are there any numbers that tell you how this primary is shaping up now about six weeks out? Yeah, we do. We have internal polling that is showing us very favorable. Um, at the end of the day, Bob, we win. We win handedly because 82% of Republican primary voters will not vote for a candidate who has proposed pro-transgender legislation. That's what our poll tells us. 82% of primary Republican voters will not vote for a candidate that has proposed transgender legislation. And, uh, you know, in our in our internal polling, it shows that I get 60 percent of the vote and that he gets 13. So, I mean, we wow. have a strong path to victory here. It's just getting the message out and informing people of, of who the conservative is and who the conservative is not. And what awaits you on the Democrat side? Are you looking ahead? I mean, you know, I know you're not taking the primary for granted, although those numbers are very encouraging, clearly. But uh, as you look ahead, uh, what is the, the challenger look like for District 6? You know what? I'm so focused on this primary that I'm, I've, I've really not paid attention to okay. the, the general because I'm so laser focused on this primary race. Um, we'll win this and then we're going to we'll worry about that race um, after March 19th. Okay, yeah, that's fair enough, and that's uh, that's that's probably the right attitude to have. Like I said, but sitting from where I sit, not in your shoes, I need to ask <laughs> because uh, sure, clearly, sure. clear, you know, and and fundraising is obviously going to be crucial in this. The Democrats, anytime they see an opportunity to flip a seat from red to blue, they they t- pump a ton of money from the DNC into it. And I don't know exactly, like I said, who the uh, candidate is going to be on the other side there, but um, uh, fundraising is an issue. So how can people support your campaign? Well, thanks for the question. Bob, they can go to reggieforohio.com and uh, click on the donate button, and uh, we would welcome any contributions from your listeners. Um, if you want to support a conservative Christian running for Congress, that's me, and we'd welcome your support. Yeah, and uh, and I'll give that uh, that website out again and uh, let people know because uh, it is it's crucial that we not only maintain but grow the majority that we have in the house and we certainly cannot afford to lose uh one red seed it's it's very important um you have a number of uh priorities listed on your site 
including the southern border, which is, I think, overtaken inflation as the number one issue for voters all across the country, not just in District 6 in Ohio, but all across the country. But you have that. You have shrinking the size of government, energy independence, which is crucial as well, lowering the debt ceiling, um, balanced budgets. How do you prioritize those things? Can, you know, If you had to say these are the top three things I'm going to address when I get there, what are they? Good question. Defending our southern border, we are being invaded, Bob, at the southern border. Mm-hmm. We've got to stop illegals from flowing into our country. We've got to build a wall. It's out of control. Joe Biden is not helping us. In, in any regard, he's 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 hurting our country by letting that border be open. So we've got to shut that border. The economy is is second there, you know. And as a small business owner, you know I understand how things work in the economy. And we've got to get our financial house in order. We're expected to pay our taxes. We're expected to ha- to balance our checkbooks. And the federal government does not have to do that. They just continue to raise the debt ceiling. And we have got to get that under control, Bob. That is very important to me. We've got to cut spending. We, we've got to get our financial house in order. Those are those are the two big issues for me, Bob. And uh, it's very important. And there's a lot of conservative members that I'm going to be working with in the House. You know that that hold these issues dear to them as well. And uh, we're gonna we're gonna gain some ground, especially when Trump's elected this November. We're gonna gain some ground. We better. Uh, we need to, we need to gain a lot of ground, quite frankly, and uh, I agree with you on on the number one issue. Um, we are inv- being invaded. It's affecting virtually every aspect of American life, uh, from tourism because people can't even get hotel rooms if they want to go visit certain cities because they are all being used on taxpayer dime to house illegal aliens because they are literally are bursting at the seams. They continue to allow them to come in. So from tourism to our medical facilities being absorbed to our school facilities to child care, you know, we're clothing and housing these people, we're feeding these people all on taxpayer dimes, and um, there seems to be no end in sight. And uh, meanwhile, what they're telling us is if you want us to do anything at the border at all, you got to give us another $60 billion to send to Ukraine. Um, where do you stand on that? Where do you stand on the uh, selling out, or maybe a better way to say it is uh, holding for ransom security on our own southern border if, uh, in exchange for sending money to, uh, uh, to a foreign country to fight that battle? Well, we've got, we've got to secure our border, and uh, we're trying to finance a country who's being invaded, right? And we can't even finance our own country who's being invaded. This sounds this sounds crazy. It's ludicrous. We've got to, as Republicans, be good negotiators. We gotta close the border without funding Ukraine. That's plain and simple. We have to do that. They're, they're separate they're separate issues. You know, once we close the border and fix that problem Maybe then we can look to solving the world's problems. But first and foremost, we've got to fix our problems, our, our invasion at the border. Completely agree. That's what it's all about. So Reggie Stoltzfus running for Congress. His website is reggie4ohio.com, reggie4ohio.com. He's got a lot of strong endorsements there, and uh, he has a commanding lead in this primary race right now. But we need to make sure that you get him over the hump not only in the primary, but to uh, beat back any challenge that he may face, in, well, will face eventually in November uh, from Democrats. Reggie, keep your eye on the ball, obviously. I know you're focused on March 19th. Then you'll look ahead. The rest of us will do the uh, the work for you looking ahead. But thank you so much for coming on. Uh, we may ask you to come back on again shortly before the uh, primary in March, if that's okay. Absolutely, Bob. Enjoyed it. 
I'll come back anytime you ask, and uh, I love your show. You do a great job. That is very kind of you to say. Thank you very much, sir. We appreciate you. There's uh, uh, State Representative Reggie Stoltzfus. Again, he's currently in District 50 in the State House. He wants to go to the U.S. House in District 6, and I personally think we should try to help get him there. 1055, Always Right Radio. Coming back after the top of the hour, it will be the free-for-all Friday that we promise you. Anything you want to ask, any topic you want to uh, want to address, any comments that you want to... This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and KeepingMedicareSimple.com. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. Indeed it is. Hour number three is underway at seven minutes past 11 o'clock on this free-for-all Friday. Just happens to be the second morning of the second month of the year of our Lord, twenty twenty four. What month is that again? It's the uh, it's the month of division. There's no other way to describe it. The whole thing, especially the president and Democrats, now are talking about income inequality, and that's basically what you know when you talk about the richest eighty five people on the planet, right? Yeah, it's income inequality. Do you think that's looking at you know what's happening in the news now? Is that a good idea? Do it's you a great think? idea. It is the greatest idea. Uh, we have a much more vibrant society when we don't have such a vast chasm between the haves and the have-nots. We need uh, that middle ground that we call the middle class, the people who buy everything, people who use the uh, products that the rich are creating, if they're creating anything other than wealth, <laughs> right? right? So it's, it's what's happening with the Chinese economy right now. They're changing their whole outlook because they need consumers. Yeah. And without a middle class, you're not going to have consumers. You're not going to have it at the level that we normally would have it. So can, we, can I go back to you? Because I, I, I thought what you said was fascinating because you called it bull when you said people can't you know, pull themselves up. Do you think that race plays a part in wealth dis- distribution or either a mindset that you can't Today? or cannot? Yeah. No. You don't? No. I don't. I don't. Okay. You and I, we're proof. Why would race have anything to do with it? Stick you, put your mind to what you want to do and go for that. Uh, it's kind of like religion to me. It's a good excuse for not getting there. Yeah. That is one of the classic interviews that Morgan Freeman had with uh, former CNN host Don Lemon. As Don Lemon tried to get him to race bait him into saying something about how unfair the United States of America is to African Americans. How unfair it is whether it comes to wealth, wealth uh, distribution. 
or opportunities and so forth, and Morgan Freeman wasn't having it. But that is what we are in for for another 27 days. It's a leap year, so 27 days. Right? It is, right, Seth? I'm not making that up, am I? It's a leap year, 29 days. Okay. So another 27 days, we're going to have more people like Don Lemon doing things like that to try to divide the country even further. And thank goodness we have people like Morgan Freeman who are willing to push back. Maybe his most famous um, remarks about this month of division were with Mike Wallace. Black History Month you find ridiculous. Why? You're going to relegate my history to a month? Oh, come well, on. What do you no. do with yours? What, which month is White History Month? No, well, no, 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 come on, tell me. Well, the, I'm Jewish. Okay, which I'm, month is Jewish History Month? Uh, there isn't one. Oh, oh, why not? Yeah. Do you want one? No, no, no. I, I, right. I, I don't either. I don't want a Black History Month. Black history is American history. How are we going to get rid of racism? And Stop still- talking about it. I'm going to stop calling you a white man. Yeah. And I'm going to ask you to stop calling me a black man. I know you as Mike Wallace. You know me as Morgan Freeman. You want to say, well, I know this white guy named Mike Wallace. You know what I'm saying? Uh huh. Daniel what? Diggins! <laughs> True words were never spoken than the ones you just heard there from Morgan Freeman. How do you get rid of racism? Stop talking about it. Stop pointing out the differences between people. Start start focusing on the fact that we are all equal people, that we all are the same underneath the color of our skin. Stop looking for excuses, Don Lemon. Stop painting everything as being about race. We have an entire month of that now in front of us. Well, 27 more days. So, yeah, it will be the month of division. Just like the month of June, I renamed the month of groom, which we will do again. The month of February is the month of division. That is exactly what its intent is. Okay, to the phones on a free-for-all Friday. Anything you want to ask is fair game. Anything you want to say is fair game. Let's go to Tony, who is in South Euclid. Tony, welcome to the show. You're on the air. Fire away. Oh, thank you. Yeah, Tony from South Euclid. I wanted a, a, a good good conversation with uh, Mr. Reggie there, and I think we need more people uh, in our legislators and our legislation to to be like him. I wanted to mention one comment, <clears throat> excuse me, that he made um, about uh, biological men inf- uh, infringing upon certain facilities mm-hmm. of women. Facilities, uh, right? Safe yeah. spaces, there. yeah. Private, and, private spaces, right? Private spaces, and 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 on the flip side, this is what I'd like to mention: is you know I love women and I, I love people, and but you know, in the NFL games, I don't think there should be women on the field. It's a man's game, and I think we should keep it as a man's game. And more and more, you see women on there. I think it's a distraction, maybe uh, minus the cheerleaders, but we need to keep it from its. Um, original nature, and I don't like to see that. I think it's uh, you're talking about I, the officials. Even, you're talking about the officials, right? Well, I'm talking about the officials. I'm talking about the interview, the the women that are interviewing the the uh, the players, I, I the water girls. I think they should just take that all away and just go back um, to the original nature of the game. 
and that's my opinion, and that's all I have yeah. to say, sir. Okay, I appreciate it. That's that's I love it. Thanks for the call, Tony. That's the beauty of Free For All Friday. Literally, I did not expect that call. I did not expect this discussion. But since it's here, um, I'm going to disagree to an extent. Here's what I don't like. I don't like female color commentators doing the broadcasts because they're trying to express with expertise something with which they have zero experience because there has never been a female player uh, in the National Football League uh, or even even at a high level of a collegiate football in a collegiate football team. Yeah, there's been the occasional about once every five, six, seven years you'll have a female kicker who can go out there and kick an extra point and, oh, we got a new groundbreaking moment. So, you know, female scored a point again, but whatever. I, that's fine. I don't care about that. I don't. And if you can kick, by the, by the way, if you can play, I'd be okay with that too. If there was a woman, an actual woman, not a man, putting on makeup and then saying, I'm going to go play football, it's, that's still the dude, right? You know, I'm, I don't play those games. But if there was an actual biological woman who was good enough to play in the league, bring it. I am fine. I believe, like Kenny Shu does, in meritocracy. I believe in the best people getting the jobs. And if you are good at your job uh, and, and good enough and can handle it and can compete and can, can succeed, go play football as far as I'm concerned. But until that happens, until there is actually a real strong female presence in players, I have a hard time listening to females doing the color commentating and trying to tell us about what was right about that play, what was wrong about that tackle, uh, what a good strategy. You know, it's like, you know, it just doesn't sound right because you're right. It has been a man's game from the very beginning and it remains one. Now, having said that, can a woman learn the rules? Sure. A female official on, the, on a game official who, who knows the rules and knows pass interference and holding from what isn't and so forth. And if they're good at it, we don't have enough good officials. If they're good females, it doesn't take, you know, physical dominant, you know, characteristics to referee a game the way it does to play the game. I'm fine with it. And I'm fine with women having any other capacity in the sport, uh, you know, that they want to. For playing, it's, it's a male-dominated sport, and until it's not, I don't need to hear females trying to tell us uh, things, you know, more about the game than, than, than I know, and, and I promise you they don't. And it's not because they're a woman, but just, again, I've played the game, uh, and, and I think people who have experienced that know a little bit more about it, and quite frankly, they're just used to hearing guys talk football, not females talk football. That's just the reality of it. But I'm going to disagree with you as far as them being on the field and doing things. Uh, they can certainly contribute in whatever ways uh, that they wish. Okay, let's go to uh, Joanne in Twinsburg. Hi, Joanne. You're on the air. Go ahead. Good morning, Bob. You know, my biggest gripe this week was listening to, as Chris Plant calls her, Cringe, John Pierre. That's a good one. You know, talking about those three soldiers who got killed. Do you think the word hero or patriot or... Anything could come out of her mouth. I mean, it just made me sick that that woman couldn't spit the words out like she was going to choke on them. And it just sickens me. Yeah. She and didn't I know what to say. I don't, I don't think she knew. Extremely... I, I don't think she I mean, could think of, I just don't think she could think of the word soldier in her head because she's she's a slow thinker. She's not a smart person. She is honestly no, one of the didn't. dumbest people to ever hold that position, and it's embarrassing watching her <laughs> trip over herself to misspeak on, on subject-verb agreements. I mean, just, I mean, honestly, she just sounds very dumb. I mean, it just seemed to me like she, of every time she started the sentence, when it came to saying the word hero, or patriot, or brave soldier, she had yeah. to stop and start again because she couldn't get the words out of her Yeah, she, she, she kept calling them folks. She kept calling them folks, folks, military folks. Yeah. Because yeah. she I mean, couldn't, like I just said, don't think she's a quick she thinker. Started, 
and it just aggravated me. I mean, it was kind of like my, I mean, like I said, Chris Plant kind of got it when he calls her cringe instead of Kareen. I yeah. mean, it kind of works. Yeah, well, I just call her, I just call her the diversity hire. Uh, I like Jesse yeah, Waters I mean, calls her binder, too. Prepared. I mean, that's a good yeah. one too. <laughs> yeah, there are there are a lot of ways to describe. She's easily and thank you for the yeah. call. Uh, she's easily the worst person to ever hold that job. Honestly, you know who was one of the worst? And by the way, just so you don't think, oh, I because she's a female. No, why? Because she's black. No, why? Because she's gay. No, because she's awful at her job. And I'll say the same thing about Sean Spicer. Trump picked Sean Spicer to be his original press secretary. He was terrible at it. What did he last, six months or something like that, before he got rescued and, uh, and um, uh, Sarah Huckabee Sanders came in? And then after that, uh, it was Kayleigh McEnany? Uh, but, but white male, straight white male, Sean Spicer was terrible at that job, too. I call it the way it is. I don't care what you look like. But the reality is Joe Biden cares what she looks like because her color, her sex, and her orientation, being a gay black woman, are the reason she got the job. And we know this because he announced it as such. And he announced he was going to have the most diverse administration in, in American history. Not merit, not um, quality, but rather equity and diversity and inclusion. This is what it was all about. She's there, and she's terrible at her job, and I think the administration suffers for it. So to that end, I'm kind of glad about it. Jo- Jesse Waters calls her binder. Which is perfect, too, because she comes in there with that binder of hers that's about the size of two, back in the day when we used to use phone books, two Manhattan phone books, right? I mean, just massive. It's a big, giant binder, and every single possible question that she could be asked has answers on the binder. And that's why she's constantly looking down and fluttering her eyes as she is trying to really process and try to not look like she's reading, but she's reading every answer she gives out of that binder because she cannot think on her feet. She is not well-prepared. She's not a good speaker. She is awful at her job. Uh, so, yeah, she is cringy. And she is a diversity hire, and she is binder, so I'll give her all of the above. Derek Richfield, you're on AM 1420, The Answer. Hi, Derek, go ahead. Hey, hi, Bob, thank you. Um, so just calling in about uh, the problem, this illegal immigration problem and how it ties to that uh, school bus accident uh, in Clark County last end of last August, you know, here in Ohio. And um, so it may, what may remind me of that was that this week, I think just yesterday, Governor DeWine, he all of a sudden, because of that incident, you know, an 11-year-old boy, he got, got killed. And because of that incident, DeWine, um, he announced they're going to, you know, have new new, you know, funding for school bus safety, you know, training the drivers to be uh, more, uh, you know, like, like more, you know, more prepared and uh, more, you know, more alert and all that and, and new cameras and all that on all the on, on the buses. And mm-hmm. I, I just found it interesting. But when I was going through any of the reporting on you know, this new decision that's going to improve school bus safety in Ohio. There wasn't one mention of that accident. Um, and, and the fact is, you know, that that was an illegal alien, an illegal Haitian man who, who caused that, who crashed into the bus and caused that to happen. And I, I just found it interesting that, you know, there, that, you know, so there's a problem. The governor comes up with a solution and, and that's the solution, but no mention of, you know, uh, no mention of, uh, of the fact of why was this man in the country, in Ohio, in the first place, um, you, you know, the answer is more cameras on the bus and to, you know, and to keep training the, the drivers. 
So that that's that's obviously the ticket for that. Well, you're you're exactly right. I mean, look at look at what just to kind of make a comparative. I talked about this in the open of the show today when yesterday 150 of the uh, Democrats in the House voted against a bill that would deport illegal aliens who who drink and drive. And Jerry Nadler came out and instead of addressing the fact that if he wasn't here, uh, the individual who killed that mother and son in a very similar situation to what you just described wouldn't happen. He said, "Well, we need to expand public ride." sharing program so people don't have to uh, uh, drink and drive. So that's the answer to the problem. The answer to the problem is addressing the drinking and driving, he says, as opposed to addressing the fact that if this particular illegal alien was not here because of Joe Biden's open border policies, that mother and son would be alive right now. Don't talk to me about general ways to make buses buses safer without telling me, by the way, in this case, this was caused not by bus, you know, uh, uh, you know, a, a lack of safety with respect to the equipment on the bus. Just like public ride sharing isn't the problem here, it's illegal aliens who are here committing these crimes. Those are the issues, and they don't want to address them because they don't want to acknowledge that they exist. Right, right, and and I, I know I'm repetitive here, but you know it's it's just amazing. Anyone who who has a passport and has ever traveled outside of the country um, knows that I don't know it's not just some free for all. Most countries require visas. There's a tourist visa, you know, unless you have business or religious purposes. You know, there there's certain time frames you can stay, you can get fined, you know, or not let back in the country. I mean, a third world country like Bolivia, you know, you would get in trouble, you know, breaking, violating their, their visas and, and, and your passport. So, yeah, the idea that this is a free-for-all here and that should that should be acceptable, it obviously doesn't make any sense at all. But um, but if I get real quick, um, so just I want to tell Mayor Bibb, <clears throat> Mayor Justin Bibb, and another um, another great solution that's going to answer all of Cleveland's problems. I just noted, so I just happened to pick up the plane dealer today. He's announcing his, his, he's going over the budget, and he's going to eliminate 148 additional Cleveland police officer jobs with the, you know, with the short, which all the shortages now. So, but I don't know, I guess saying that, well, he, he eliminate these jobs so we can increase uh, pay, you know, and hopefully that'll attract more people. I don't know if that, that's what's thinking. But, but, you know, but that's fine because, I mean, he got Rod Stewart and Billy Joel to come to Cleveland. I mean, he made a major announcement. I mean, that, that solves all of our problems. Yeah, and and while I agree that would be a fun show because I like both of those guys, you're right. They're really focused on the right things here. Uh, great call. Thank you, uh, uh, Derek, for the phone call. I want to respond to that last one, too. Um, I saw the story, too, and I read, it, read the article or an article about, about this. And the thinking from the mayor and from the chief of police and the city council isn't that we don't need the cops. It's that we might as well not have the budget for this many because we can't fill them anyway. Because nobody wants to come and work here. Nobody wants to be a Cleveland cop. Why would they, given two things? Number one, even though they have now increased the pay, their pay compared to the other big cities in the state is minuscule, number one. And number two... They have the consent decree and the civilian review board, and they've got people like Samaria Rice up there sitting there and passing judges judgment on cops that they hate uh, from the very beginning. And who wants to be a part of that? Who doesn't? F- what what potential law enforcement officer or somebody working in another city in another department would ever think about transferring over to becoming a Cleveland cop, knowing? that every arrest that they make and every interaction that they have is going to be scrutinized by a bunch of civilians who don't know what it means to be a cop. And potentially, you face discipline, you may face charges for crying out loud, and eventually you're going to be to the point where you don't want to interact interact with anybody because you don't want to lose your job. That's the reality of it. 
The idea that the, the civilian review board, this is why there are 350 officers under budget, and this is the point. You know, they have 350 officers under budget. Last year they hired 40. <laughs> and, and, and that doesn't count the 100-plus that, that actually expanded the, the, uh, uh, the, the difference between what the budget is and what the actual numbers are because they retired or they left and went to other cities away from Cleveland, so they don't have to deal with this. But it's one thing, I mean, I will never stop talking about this. I would never allow an unelected, inexperienced, untrained group of people to be able to sit there and evaluate how well my doctor did their job with me when they have no earthly medical training or experience in their in their lives. I don't think anybody in a profession should be judged by a whole bunch of other people that are not experienced in that profession and have A, their livelihood, B, their salary, B, their, their job security, D, their, 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 their freedom, literally, as they can be thrown in jail and face charges. Or, or put themselves in harm's way where they can get killed because they're afraid to do something that might be judged the wrong way by this civilian review board who has no earthly idea what it's like to be a cop. I mean, honestly. That's why they did what they did, is the point here. There are 350 officers under budget. It's not that they don't want to hire those officers, uh, officers or even if they did want to, they can't get enough recruits to come through the door. And then you've got racist people like Carrie Howard uh, uh, basically eliminating people if they tweeted something in 2012 that he found objectionable and found, hey, that person's a racist. They don't have the right mindset for this job, and they get booted. All of the different things that they have done regarding policing have been wrong, and now they're just basically saying, well, we won't be so far under the budget if we just lower the budget. We won't be so far under the budgeted amount of officers if we just lower Giving you reason in the age of unreason. Always right radio with Bob France and the answer. Oh, yes, indeed it is. It's 1136. We've got time for just a few more phone calls here, but I told you about this. Let me give Once this again, here. the majority is wasting our time by putting forward a piece of legislation that has zero chance of becoming law and that is extraordinarily broad. No one condones driving under the influence. We should do everything we can to prevent people from getting behind the wheel while intoxicated. But this bill, designed to scapegoat and denigrate immigrants, will not solve the serious problem of DUIs. Public safety threats, including those who have been convicted of serious DUI offenses, are already inadmissible and removable under the Immigration and Nationality Act, and this bill would not change or enhance that. Under the INA, a conviction of a crime involving moral turpitude, where the punishment can be for a year or longer, makes an individual deportable. Courts have ruled over and over again that serious DUI offenses that put others at risk are CIMTs and make the perpetrators deportable. But this bill isn't about serious offenses, Mr. Speaker. Far from it. The bill says that a conviction for a single DUI offense, misdemeanor or felony, makes you instantly deportable. That's exactly what we wanted to say, Preemie. Preemie Jayapal, that's exactly what we wanted to say. They broke the law once when they stepped on our soil. They break the law again, goodbye, that's it. Particularly when it comes to something that is one of the actions that leads to more deaths in this country than any other. Drunk driving deaths 
in the United States of America is more than just a problem. It's an epidemic. Bringing illegals in here to do it in addition to the already American. And by the way, this isn't about just scapegoating illegals, which you hate, call, hate us calling them. This is about doing what's right to protect people. Americans should be thrown in prison for drunk driving. Illegals should be thrown out of our country for drunk driving. They should be thrown out of our country just on their own merit because they're here illegally. But specifically, if they're going to break laws that are dangerous laws like that, uh, obviously they have to go. I was hoping I would get to the part here where she said, quit calling them illegals. It's so dehumanizing because all I want to say to her in response is illegal, 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 again and again and again and again, because that's what this is. That's what this is about. All right. Uh, Let's go to uh, Charlie in Brownhelm. Hey, Charlie, go ahead. Hey, Bob. Happy Fish Bump Friday and Groundhog Day, too. Right back at you. Yeah, how about that? Early spring. Groundhog didn't see the shadow today. That was good news. Yeah, it started yesterday. Yeah. Hey, you know, we could call February pushback February because, you know, it's been out and out. uh, You know, reverse discrimination, DEI, it's racism, and it should be against the law. And that's what we should push back. We should push back all February. It should be the February pushback day. What I was calling about was the immigration law they're talking about. It should be dead on arrival. Unless it has E-Verify for, for employment, it's as important as the wall. You have to tell the world you cannot work in the United States unless you have an electronic permit. This will stop a lot of the flow in. It will begin the flow out. It, it, we just and if it's not in this this immigration bill, it should be dead on arrival. It's yeah, I, I agree. I wouldn't say it's more important, but it's as important as the wall. They're two different things. And and they're and thank you, Charlie, for the call. Number one, uh, the wall stops people from getting in here in the first place. But the e-verify for employment, you're 100 percent right. This will deal with people who do get in in other ways. For example, people who come here legally as students and then overstay or the legally as workers, and then overstay. And they're now illegal, but they already got in, so there's not, you know, the wall won't stop anything. But they're unemployable if their E-Verify shows that they are not here legally anymore. So you're right. We have to disincentivize people coming here and taking these jobs by making sure that they cannot have these jobs unless there is verification that they're here legally. Uh, so it is just as important as the wall to make sure that we, uh, we cut back or cut down on the number of illegals who are here. It's just a different reason. Joe in uh, Westlake next. Hi, Joe. Go ahead. Hello, Bob. There are two things I'd like to ask conservatives to do this year. Number one, break free from the tidal wave of propaganda from the military-industrial complex. And number two, renew their connection with Western culture. How can they do number one? Check out the book, The Israeli Lobby, by John Mearsher and his co-author, about the one of the largest foreign lobbies uh, influencing the U.S. to get into more wars. For example, drone attacks on an uh, area of the world no one, the average American could not find on a map for reasons nobody knows about. Now, here's two quick quotes for renewing our connection to Western civilization. The first from George Washington. My desire is to keep the United States free from political connections with every other country, to see that they may be independent of all and under the influence of none. And second, one from Jesus paraphrased, the two greatest commandments are love God and love your neighbor. Thanks. Thank you, Joe. I appreciate it. And those are great ways to connect with what. And by the way, I, I did an interview yesterday with uh, 
uh, uh, Dr. Piper, and he wrote a column, an entire column about anti-Semitism being right in line with anti-Western civilization and uh, yeah, being anti-West in general. And that's very, very true, which is one of the reasons why we do need to reconnect with it and embrace it, because the Western way of life, the Western civilization we have built and developed here has obviously been uh, the biggest benefit to, to humankind, I think, in its history. There's just no question about it. And uh, it is under attack. Uh, thank you. Sister Mary Grace in Cleveland. Good morning, Sister Mary Grace. Go right ahead. Oh, I just appreciate you. I, I listen, you know, wholeheartedly to all the beauty of the people talking. And uh, it just upsets me about the Haitian over there that hit a drunk. I hate drunk drivers. I got hit by one. So do and, I. Uh, I got hit by a drunk driver. And if he's an alien, it's even worse. God bless us. But I tell you this, you know, Sage County, where, um, yeah, I think it's Missouri, where uh, Piper is, um, they had an election. It was done with just no machines. And she was counted before everybody around her with all the machines. So think about how, that. How, how did they do it? She did it with no machines. And they just counted the... Was it just like drop a a piece of paper? Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.